0: of The Watchers Film Show. I'm Rhys Jones. I'm Matthew Ford. And I'm Terence Marshman-Edwards. And tonight we are talking about what are our favourite films from the decade, the 1990s.
1: Woo!
0: (laughs) (laughs) Quite quite a large scope of things we could talk about. So why don't we delve on in, as ever, the rules are simple. We have a number of films that we want to talk about and highlight that we really love from that particular decade. There are other decade chats available that we have talked about. They are on the blog and that web address is Des. Watchersproductions.com slash watches Film Show blog. There we go. So you can find everything you need there from our past decade chats. But tonight we're going to talk about the 1990s. We're going to highlight five each and we're just going to get Right into it, and Matt, go first. Go talk. Go <laughs> right.
2: Let's go. Let's go hard or go home. uh My favorite horror film of the nineties. Of course, it'd be horror. Uh, <laughs> if you start off with a horror. Um, I've only got one horror. I've, I've picked one horror out for this list. Wow, my favorite. Okay. I know. I know. The nineties was a, was an amazing decade for horror. But my favourite, my all-out favourite is M. Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense. Oh, good choice. You, You have horror films that can scare you, but the minute the credits come up, you forget all about them and they don't stay with you. The best horror films are the ones that have intricate emotional plots characters that you care about and performances that push that push their actors and the sixth sense it has all of that it's it's shyamalan's best film by far don't get me wrong split and unbreakable are amazing but the sixth sense there's almost something kind of hitchcock about it just the, the visuals and it's ugh. I'd
0: even go out on a limb and say it's Bruce Willis's best performance. I've already seen it once, yep. and that was in the 90s. And I, I remember it being good. <laughs> it's one of those things I've never actually gone back and watched again or again. Mm. But I suppose with a, with a twist ending like that, once you know the ending, you know the ending. So I, I, you know that's the trouble of all of these films. But, but one thing you thing. can do with it, though, Reese, is it is worth, once you've watched it
1: for the plot, it is worth watching again because he's very cleverly seeded quite a few hints throughout of as to what's going on but when you watch it the first time you're, you're not necessarily going oh well that means XYZ so watching it again with the knowledge of the twist you can kind of see where he's where he's kind of like like seeded the plot through and it's it's actually fairly clever and
2: it's it's as well, it's the plot, it's the script, it's the child's journey throughout that film is an, a, a, about grief and the afterlife. It's, I. not only does it, can it scare you, has it got the power to scare you, but makes me well up every time at the end. It's such a powerful film.
1: We'll stick with the horror theme, why not? Ooh, segue. Although, I don't... Necessarily know whether this counts as horror or thriller. We we will see. It's usually when, when they're talking about films that have done well at the Oscars, this is often kind of said as you know, it is a horror film that won best picture. Yeah. Um, so I think I think Matt's Matt's cotton on. Yeah, 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 yeah. Clocks on, clocks on. Yeah. So Silence of the Lambs.
0: Oh. oh. Yeah, that's a cracking film.
1: Yeah. Uh, 1991, directed by the late Jonathan Demme, uh, Anthony Hopkins, Jodie Foster, uh, Hannibal and Clarice. Clarice. Um, It's the third third film, and so far it's the last film to have won what they consider the big five Oscars. So that's Best Picture, Actor, Actress, Director and Screenplay. Um, So that hasn't actually been done since the silence of the lambs what can i say about it that hasn't kind of already been said anthony hopkins is chilling terrifying and is barely on screen if you look at it he actually only has around about 20 minutes of screen time
2: that's how good his performance
1: is that's how good he is and he you very it's one of these whole things it's it's if i told you go back and watch it and count the number of times he blinks and you see him on screen. He's absolutely, and it's it's an iconic it's an iconic performance, and it has basically you know kind of it it's tied him to Lecter in terms of the plot. Yeah, it's a bit nineties. There are certain things in it that I think if it was made or even written now would not fly. But you have to take it for. For what it is, because I mean, even when when the film was released, there were protests about the uh, presentation of Buffalo Bill. It's not progressive necessarily, but it doesn't need to be. I personally think it's one of the finest films of the nineties. I personally think it's one of the finest films of the twentieth century. To be fair, so uh, yeah, let's let's start off. Let's start the bar high. Silence of the Lambs. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: That iconic shot of Clarice walking down that corridor to Lecter—the mm. most frightening person in that room—is the most gentle, gentleman. Can't even say the word. The most gentle- gentlemanly. Yeah. Thank you, Tez. Um, the most and polite, yeah. and he, yeah, he is the most sinister, most dangerous person there. It's brilliant. Brilliant. What's also lovely
1: is—I um, I mean, it's a story that's well known—but um, when he is talking to. The first meeting when he's talking to Clarice, and he mocks her accents. Jodie Foster didn't know he was going to do that, and it freaked her out because he she wasn't expecting that kind of almost personal kind of attack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it works so well because I mean, you know, Lecter is obviously he's he's the smartest man in the room every time, and um, he's just. I mean, it's it's one of Hopkins's finest performance, and in a career like his, I mean, that's saying something. But yeah, so *Sign of the Lambs*. Cracking choice. Reese,
0: your your first choice. Well, my first one. I'm gonna have to get uh, one of the big ones out of the way. That for me was the first 15 and over film I saw in the cinema in 1991. It's also what I call a benchmark film, where in our lifetime certain films make a massive either cultural impact or technological impact within the genre that I love, which is the blockbuster. And also this film is possibly, in my humble opinion, one of the best sequels ever made in film history. It continued the story perfectly. And quite frankly, it should have been the full stop and maybe ended the franchise there. It is, of course, Terminator (laughs) 2 Judgment Day. A director's cut or a theatrical cut, whichever one, both are still sterling <laughs> cuts. <laughs> um Terminator 2 for me was the first, like I said, first over 15 film I went and watched this on my own. I watched Night Night and One with friends on a Friday night. It blew me away. Nothing like it had been seen before. Of course, we had Terminator 1, which was a benchmark 1980s film, and it was a, you know, the effects were good for the time and they. Now don't really stand up, but Terminator 2 you can watch now on a 4K print of that film and absolutely still be blown away. I mean, for everything, you know, talking about things you do right in a sequel, you make the same film but better and continue the underlining plot. And that's what Jim Cameron did here. You know, it was just breathtakingly paced. It was, it was bam, 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 moment of reflection, moment of plot. Moment of development. <laughs> Bit more development. But it was absolutely like like a ways of a roller coaster. The ride, that's where the expression blockbuster ride comes from, you know, it's a roller coaster of a movie. Oh my god, like Robert Patrick, who plays the T1000, the updated Terminator, is the absolute epitome of the opposite of what Arnold's T800 was. T800 was a muscle bound machine that could just pummel you. Robert Patrick's is molten metal that can shapeshift into any shape he wants. And they he kills a police officer that looks like Robert Patrick. And Robert Patrick then takes the form. And he is just talking about Hannibal Lecter. Like, Robert Patrick's t one is is sinister and cold because he's a machine. But it is absolutely just... I will kill you i will do this this will happen and it's knives and stabbing and oh and shot honest to god this film has everything it also uses every trick in the book from classic sci-fi there are two sets of twins in this film for uh dual roles (laughs) i am still enthusiastic about that film i can still watch that film today and love it many franchises have uh, demolished and imploded themselves, and Terminator is one of them. However, Terminator 2, you watch Terminator, you watch Terminator 2, and you can literally just stop there and go, I'm done now, I've enjoyed myself. That's the Terminator for me, thank you very much. I don't need the rise of the machines or any salvation, and I definitely don't need no stinking Genesis, and in the name of God, there is no dark fate. (laughs) <laughs> End of the lesson. Yeah. You're not gonna get any disagreement from me on that one. <laughs> it put I mean Arnie was a massive star in the eighties, but T2 gave him that extra like boof I come into the nineties. It was absolutely stinkingly massive film. Back to me again, isn't it? That's <laughs> you know, oh. how it works, bud. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, there's not really much to say about this film that hasn't already been said. Um, for me, it was my Star Wars. It was it was everywhere, and kids and everyone was just obsessed with it. Um, Jurassic Park. Nice. It, little bit of a story around here. So my parents, you know. Took us, took us to see Jurassic Park, me and my brother, but we didn't know we were going to go and see Jurassic Park. There was another film out at the same time. One of them is remembered, one of them not so remembered. My parents told me and my brother that we were going to go and see Tom and Jerry the movie. Oh, my God. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes. The one where they talk and they sing? Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that was out at the same time. Um, Thomas, we were going to go and see Tom and Jerry, the movie. So when it came up with the PG rating for Jurassic Park, me and my brother just went nuts in the middle of the cinema. We were just like, oh my God, oh my God, it's Jurassic Park. Oh my God. (laughs) Oh, Jurassic Park. Um, What, 30 years on almost? For me, the biggest special effect in that film is Mr. Jurassic Park himself, Jeff Goldblum, as Dr. Ian Malcolm. He has the best lines in that film. Um, one of my favorites is where, where he just goes, oh, I'm always on the lookout for a future ex-Mrs. Malcolm. <laughs> that, nice. Nice. This man has sass. Love it. It's just, just like you said with Terminator 2, is that for me, there are no Jurassic Park sequels. There is one Jurassic Park film. There will always be one Jurassic Park <laughs> film. And uh, <laughs> no, be they, they haven't have even got one one sequel right to the park, have they? Let's be honest. No, they've never got any of the sequels right in Jurassic Park. They nearly managed it with the second one until the... T- well, I was going to say until the T-Rex t- went running around. But you also have the bit with the girl doing the gymnastics. Oh, with
0: the obvious With an obvious gymnastic pole... Yeah, disguised yeah. on set. Yeah. Nope, nope. I'm done here. I'm switching off. My main thing with Thank the, the sequels, much. mate, is is the insistent need they have of writing children into the sequels. We're like, mm. in the first one, it made sense that they were there, and then the other ones, you're like, how are these children in danger again? <laughs> like, and there's more, like, there's more different children, but we just we need children. We need the innocence. We need those characters. No, you don't. Just have some action with dinosaurs, will you people? There's always a child character chucked in there. He's like, oh, Spielberg chucked a child in. We better do it too. It's like, oh my God. Yeah, Spielberg chucked a child in because it was important
1: to the plot. Absolutely. But yeah, the rest of them, you didn't know you don't
0: need it. My only gripe with Jurassic Park is the original author's lazy writing. Oh what Michael Crichton. Yeah, because he basically <laughs> reworked another story of his Westworld, oh, Westworld. and just added dinosaurs. Yeah, Westworld with dinosaurs. Yeah, yeah. that's it's right. Literally just Dino World. It's you know, <laughs> it's like you lazy yeah. bugger.
1: <laughs> oh, I'm I'm gonna lower the tone now. Oh, someone asked to lower the tone. I, I apologize. I can't believe that it took me as long as it did to remember that, well, not even remember, but to think of this film to be able to discuss it. A lot of you will know, those of you who are listening and those of you that follow the blog, I am a massive fan of the American filmmaker, John Waters, AKA the Pope of Trash. I mean, what he does really pushes the boundaries, but I would have been utterly amiss not to include this because I think it is it is crowning glory. It's his finest moment, and that's Serial Mom. I've never seen Serial oh. Mom. Yeah, nineteen. So, nineteen ninety four. It is also, and I will fight anyone about this. It's Kathleen Turner's finest performance on film. She's done some, she's done some absolutely cracking stage work, but I think Beverly Sutphin is her kind of crowning glory. The basic plot is Beverly is a lovely, lovely suburban housewife who's got a little penchant for killing people who piss her family off. And yeah, you know, it starts off at the very beginning. She's lovely. One of her neighbours is getting obscene phone calls and letters, you know, kind of the proper ransom letters cut out of the paper. And it's her doing it. She torments this woman by by phone call i i can't even repeat some of the language used it is massively anarchic it is mass is a lot of fun and but it twists into this whole kind of thing about kind of celebrity crime because obviously oj simpson that whole thing was happening around about the same time but i mean some, some of the deaths are hilarious and i mean the supporting cast is all spot on you've got sam waterson as the the very well meaning but completely confused husband kind of having to, to reconcile the fact that his wife is is actually a serial killer matthew lillard and ricky lake of the kids they're great and but the one performance that i have to point out is from mink stole that, that's, that's her name. She has worked in, I think, nearly all of John Waters' films in some ways. She plays the neighbour who's getting harassed, Mrs. Dottie Hinkle, and oh my God, she's brilliant. It won't be to everyone's taste. I mean, that, that kind of goes without saying, but definitely I think... It's a good, it's also a good way in to John Waters' slightly more extreme kind of stuff. Because, you know, you could watch Hairspray and think, oh, this is very nice, but it's not, that's not typical of his oeuvre. Uh This one is a bit more. Uh, but
0: yeah, Serial Mum. Never seen it, yeah. but now it sounds like I need to see it.
1: <laughs>
0: you'd love, I think
1: you'd really enjoy it. I think you'd find the humour in it quite
0: to your taste reese <laughs> uh, reese what's your second choice my second choice well let's keep it uh, lowbrow as tez said i saw this film and it yes it changed my life it made me realize don't give up your dreams anyone can make a film and it doesn't have to cost millions this filmmaker made a massive impression in 1994 various film festivals it was insane i mean the film was produced for twenty seven thousand dollars, and most of that money was raised from selling his personal comic book collection three thousand dollars from his mum and dad and maxing out credit cards (laughs) that is pure passion most of the cast in the film are friends or people they knew from around new jersey of course, it's clerks, and it's the film by Kevin Smith. What is fantastic about this film isn't just that it's you know funny, but it's a really simple idea. It's about two clerks that work at a convenience store, and they're not meant to be in today. And you know Dante <laughs> and Randall, who are two amazing characters. Who, if you from the nineties pop culture like me, you will know these ins and outs. they would spawned not only sequels, but I might point out probably. It is the first of the film franchises of modern era cinema. Yes, it fucking is. So, yeah. (laughs) Have it. It was done here first. The View Askew Universe. Basically, if you've got a film with Jane Silent in it, it's part of the fucking universe. That's how it works. Uh, uh, but the direct sequels Scream
1: 3. <laughs>
0: you, that does, unfortunately, in- <laughs> include them. If <laughs> they've <laughs> cameoed in it as James on Bob, the Scream universe is part of a view askew, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, the film is a hysterical look at young 20-somethings no hopers with no outlook on life and the characters who want to do good in life Dante wants to do something with his life doesn't know what though he's stuck in this dead-end job doesn't know what to do we can all live that and then he's got friends around him like Randall who at the time was uh, the employee of the next door video store video rental store who was just a complete lunatic and just didn't give a shit (laughs) about life in any way just turned up to work and talked to people the way he was to talk. to them the film is hysterical what's brilliant is when you watch it now and you know the backstory like i do the entire film was uh filmed when the shop was shut so they'd close the shop at half past five six o'clock bring the shutters down and film all the way through the night and then open the store up again and that's rinse and repeat that's why in the plot the store shutters on the outside are locked and they can't get them to open all the daytime scenes are done over weekends it all makes sense when you watch it but adds to the comedy that's another reason why i love it is it's like it was it was my film school it was my my you look at this and go it's shot in black and white not to be artsy in any way it's what they could afford film stock to make it this is before (laughs) digital technology this is like you know this is before you could even dream of making films yourself Oh, it, it, Kevin Smith to me is a fantastic comedy writer and a fantastic comedy director, like he, he has his genre and he's tried to experiment every now and then but this film Clerks in 1994 started off me and I fell in love with his filmmaking because because he's a self proclaimed, he'll say it not a very visual stunning filmmaker <laughs> he, he enjoys <laughs> a tripod it's, it's so true but there's just something about Clerks which is honest and true and real. It's so shatteringly real and sometimes uncomfortable to watch. It's in the same vein as The Office went on to do the kind of like, oh, this is hyper-reality or real kind of comedy and, like, the dramas are real and the comedy is based on real idiots you know and, oh, God, the manager from hell or the customer can't help but count stupid things or, oh, God, the smelly one it's all those things that are so true that only people would know if you worked in a shop Yeah, clerks
2: it's, that, it's, it's interesting, because uh, you pick Clerks, I pick Chasing
0: Amy. Oh, but there's so many you could choose in the 90s that are written by this amazing filmmaker, and Chasing Amy is a great example, and I will shut up and let you talk about it now.
2: With shows like In Betweeners and Sex Education, if you've never seen Chasing Amy before, yes, it is a little bit tame. But remember, this film, this film was released in 97, and it put that matter-of-factness chat, sex chat that couples couples have who've been together for ages, and stuck it up on the big screen. Chasing Amy isn't a fluffy Richard Curtis comedy. You've got Ben Affleck's Holden, who can't get over that Alyssa has had sexual experiences with men before coming out as gay, and he can't get his head around it. It's brave, it's challenging. For me, it's, it's personally my favourite Kevin Smith film. And it also has, at the beginning of that Comic-Con convention, one of the best rants ever in a film. <laughs> so he goes, what's a Nubian? Shut the fuck up! <laughs> I love it. Love it. It's great. Um, also, considering Silent Bob, considering Kevin Smith plays Silent Bob, it's one of the best monologues I've seen, where, where, he, where he basically explains the point of that film. And it's, it's a like yeah. touching really lovely moment yeah it, yeah
0: I love Chasing Amy it's such a great film I'm not gonna argue Chasing Amy is one of my favourite Kevin Smith movies I chose Clue's because it starred it all it was the night it was 1994 it, it also it spoke to me about it was my film school but yeah Chasing Amy oh my god it's like you said it's honest and it is. that film is so ahead of its time for the 1990s Tez two <laughs> yeah. Kevin Smith films go ahead, Tez give us a third
1: um I'm not gonna give you a third uh, um the only one but what i will say is i think my favorite of certainly of the 90s kevin smith is dogma oh yeah, there genius! Are. you just gave us the- <laughs> um but it's it's interesting my my next choice actually links quite nicely to what you were talking about with chasing amy and it's this like seeing sexuality being presented very honestly, very real. I had to pick this because it's one of the best LGBTQ plus films that I've seen. And I also have a very soft spot for it because I'm a soppy git and the end of it always makes me cry. It is the 1996 Beautiful Thing, written by Jonathan Harvey based on his play, directed by Hetty MacDonald. Gents, you might recognise as having directed for Doctor Who, including the iconic... Blink. It's the story of two young guys on a council estate and they fall in love. And it is honest. It is achingly honest. It is real. It is tender. It is beautiful. It's authentic. When you watch it, it doesn't feel cliched. It doesn't feel, you know, kind of rom-com. It feels real. And they've got obstacles in their way. But the... Ending has the two of them dancing together to "Dream a Little Dream of Me," uh, Mamas and Papas. It floors me every time because it's just that real. You get that little kind of heartwarming. Yes, everything's going to be all right. The two guys, Lemberry and Scott Neal. Really authentic, beautiful performances. One of my favourite supporting ones, though, is Linda Henry, who has been in things like EastEnders, Bad Girls. She's a Von Atkins. She she usually plays the hard, uncompromising matriarch figure. And she is one of the mums. She's going through a relationship with a guy who's a bit hippy-dippy. But she's also there for her son and his friend. And it's just, if you've never seen it, it's worth a watch. It really is. And it it is, as the title says, it is
0: a beautiful thing. Reese, what's your next one? Well, to keep things on the same level of Tez would be impossible. So I'm going to bring it back to my uh, blockbuster level, which is the only thing I know what to do. I'm sorry. There are many reasons why this film is not only loved by me, but fucking loved by me. It was a game changer for me for uh, what I fell in love with stylistically at the time in the 1990s and also in a lot of films that I quite like now, which is kind of gothic, heroic horror. Oh, I know where he's going with this. I think I've got it as well. Um, this film spawned three sequels in a TV series. It was that big in the 90s. Three sequels. Yes, my friend. Cities of Angels. Salvation. Yeah. Wicked Prayer. Oh, never heard of that one. And there was Stairway to Heaven, which is the abomination of a TV series version of The (laughs) Crow, which is an amazing film for many reasons. One is, it is sadly the final starring performance, Brandon Lee. He was tragically killed in an on-set accident. The director is Alex Proyas, who I have followed and loved ever since The Crow. It's a very simple story based on a comic book, sorry, graphic novel. It is a story of revenge. It's about a uh, musician and his uh, fiance, and they are both attacked. She's raped and they're both killed. And he is brought back by the mystical crow, which helps people come back to adjust the wrongs that were done upon them where the world has failed them. And that's what the film is about. It's about uh, Eric Draven played by Brandon Lee, which is a haunting performance, which is in a miraculously brilliant, breathtaking action performance role. He is heroic. He is menacing. He is downright psychopathic. And all the way through the film, you're going, yeah, kill him. Kill him. That's the thing (laughs) that made me go, when I was, when I watch it many, many times at different times of my life at different ages, is, it does surprise me how how that film is a revenge film and it's it's one of those great revenge movies where you're literally sat there and you are wanting someone to hunt these people down and kill them, and and suddenly so after you watch the film you go, what what does that say about society as a whole? But you don't really want to go into that kind of that, that level. But the film is you know it's fantastic. It's it's action. It's adventure. It's horror gothic. It's one of the first instances, I say, 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 where um, computer technology and doubles were used to complete a film. It posthumously, it is a technically a brilliant piece of work. There's a couple of shots where they've used shots from, from a, uh, from a different angle of, of Lee and then replace the background, which at the time that was unheard of, which now they can go and make Fast fast Fury 7 and and get Paul Walker still in the film and it wasn't as much of a feat as this film would have have been to finish it's it's, to me it is just a perfect action horror it's just breathtaking and quite frankly it's one of the best films of the 90s, it's one of the best films of the last 30-40 years I'm so so happy that the so-called remake that they keep trying to do keeps failing for whatever reason and never gets made i'm happy about that this is one of those films i don't want to see them trash make another one make it good fine but don't do another eric draven story it has a very special place in my heart i'm gonna
2: burst a lot of people's bubbles here but black panther is not the first black superhero comic book movie preach sister preach no it is not no it is not Back in 1998, and Mr. Wesley Snipes yeah. took that, uh, that honour with a, one of my favourite comic book movies of all time. It's Blade.
0: Talking of gothic horror.
2: <laughs> it's a nice little set. You see? Yeah, see? I like your work this so <laughs> That was on my list. Um, Blade does something that was rare for comic book movies in the 90s. It... It gives its source material the respect it deserves. Which this is the thing that kids today with your Marvel, with your DC, you've never had it so good. Back in the 80s and 90s, when a cop you know, when they announced that a movie was being made of your comic book, you went, Oh shit, really? <laughs> You'll never know what it was like.
1: <laughs> the fear. <laughs> <laughs> and then you get some wretched, wretched dreadful toy commercial like uh like Batman and Robin.
2: <laughs> Leave it I'm there. there Sad days the holding name of Batman and Robin. Um, Sad days.
0: Back to Blade, quick. Yeah, back to blade.
2: The <laughs> fight scenes, the violence. 20, 20 odd years on it it's it's still oh that that the violence and the, the combat in that film is still wince-inducing. Uh, there's a strong argument for Stephen Dorff being the best comic book villain ever. <laughs> Frost. He, he, he is he is and uh, he is nasty in that film. And Snipes is just he is the walking, talking epitome of cool. It is.
0: It isn't. I can't say anymore. It's amazing. Love it. Love it. Love it. Love it. No, it's a superb. That that film to me is blazed like, breathtaking. And also in '98, we're talking about um, benchmarks. That was like one of the first films I think that had fully, massively choreographed action fights with CG elements added in. Where like he is chopping and chopping to like ten or fifteen vampires, and as he stabs, and then he's f- going to punch the next one and he clocks the next one the one he's just stabbed the actor has been replaced and CG to dust and removed and burning up as all this is happening in 1998 you're like what, I've never seen anything like this. This is amazing. That's to me was like the spectacle and the opening scene in the in the nightclub, which is a nightclub full of vampires oh, and then the sprinkler yeah. system comes on and it's just blood on everyone where they're just lapping it up and, and dancing to the most full on rave tune from, <laughs> ni- from the 1990s. And honest to God, that is one of the best opening action scene sequences and one of the best horror opening scenes in history blade mate was absolutely on my list
1: okay on to my next choice i was low-key obsessed with this film and it could have gone on my guilty pleasures list but i think my pleasure in this is is not guilty uh, it's the craft
0: oh, oh right. okay that's yeah. so 90s yeah, yeah.
1: very 90s ultra 90s um, <laughs>
0: Uber so, 90s even.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, Uber 90s. Fantastic soundtrack though. That's a, that's one of the other things in its favour. Bloody great soundtrack. So you've got Frizia Bulk, Nev Campbell and Rachel True and then Robin Tunney comes in and they form a little coven and Nancy starts to go a bit crazy. Frizia Bolt is absolutely unhinged and it's brilliant. Especially towards the end as, as her grip on reality starts to slide, and and the kind of her lust for power, kind of just continues. She is terrifying. It is a very nineties film. I don't think it's aged well. I'm going to say that. <laughs> but that said, it's a cracking script. It's well directed, and the director has really kind of done an awful lot of note it's a guy called andrew fleming it was like a teen horror movie before they came back in vogue thanks to things like scream and i know what you did last summer i mean i really really enjoyed it
0: i don't really want to say much more about it fair enough Nice. Hey, so your next choice <laughs> my next choice is michael bay i'm a big michael bay fan you know take it or leave him he, oh, he does hit or miss see, I think I know. he does hit he does good and bad me. films he does you know well actually, he does averagey films and he does bad films but he is what he is good at is big brash explosive action blockbuster type films and and i love him for it now this particular film for me i love it simply because i am one of the biggest Sean Connery fans of all time. So obviously mm-hmm. Michael mm-hmm. Bay, Sean Connery, The Rock. Which is yeah. Like yeah. any Michael Bay film at the time and a Jerry Bruckhammer production at the time was over the top. Brash, ridiculous, and just insane. You know, it's a you know, it, it's about um a a ex-military group of people that are pissed off with how america isn't patriotic enough and don't look after its own troops so they decide to steal a chemical weapon and their plan is to ransom the world or they'll set them off and kill millions of people and they have taken alcatraz as their base of operation hence the rock and there's there's Nick Cage's FBI agent who is involved in this and Ed Harris is amazing as the quote unquote villain ex-General of America which I again, for the 90s not all the bad guys were from away from America it was a psycho ex-military American which is what makes this film fantastic as well, but what is superb about this film, and this is for why I love it more than anything for me it's the last Sean Connery Action performance in his career. There's no other film that came out after it that was as good as him in The Rock. His character in The Rock is basically James Bond if James Bond had got caught and arrested during the Cold War for doing espionage (laughs) things in a country and it was left to rot. That's what his character is. He's an ex-SAS officer who has been left there to rot and he knows loads of secrets. He's basically an ex-spy who's been communicado And that's why I love this film. Now, here's the important thing for me. I said it's the last best Sean Connery action performance of him. It's not his last best performance for me Sean Connery's best performance was another decade which is Finding Forrester from the year 2000 for anyone who's going to pick me up on that but The Rock for me is a amazing example of of 90s quote-unquote Bruckheimer action movies but it's got Connery in it probably and it is it's the last really good Connery action movie it's not just my favourite
2: Stephen King adaptation because it's near enough page for page from the book. You are 100% on board with this film, all three hours of it, because of the characters and the relationship. And that is no easy thing to do. That's that's, that's not a simple thing to do when your film is set on a death row prison. It is a Green Mile Starring Tom Hanks and Michael Clark Duncan. And speaking of Michael Clark Duncan, it, it blows your mind when it, you realize that was his first acting role. It, it's it's he he is literally miraculous in that in that film. His skill, his emotion. It's it's someone who's acted for decades, and it's my go-to film whenever I want to cry. That ending and the work that goes into it, into those three hours, it'll it'll destroy you. Oh just love, love the Green Mile. It's brilliant. Like I said it's my favourite Stephen King adaptation hands down. It's brilliant. It's the um, the bit where he says about I'm
1: tired of I'm tired of people being cruel to one another. It feels they like broken. Glass. Love. It, feels love.
2: Like,
1: it feels like broken glass in my head. Uh, I yeah. Yeah, feel it, feel it. I'm there. I didn't realise it was his first film. I really didn't.
0: I, I didn't know.
2: Role. Yeah, he amazing. was a sports star before that. Uh, wow, I see. Jeez. And it, that was his first first acting role.
1: blindly one one hell of a debut. Yeah, one yeah. Hell of a debut. No, I'm going to say it now. I was I was going to going to hold on just in case Reese mentions it, but I I had a sinking feeling in my stomach that you were going to mention The Shawshank Redemption. As soon as I heard Stephen King, I was like, it's one of two. It's Shawshank or, it, or it's Green Mile. I'm really glad you mentioned Green Mile because I think The Shawshank Redemption is one of the most overrated films ever made.
0: We'll move on Ooh. because if that's not your choice, you have to move on.
1: Yeah, it's not my
0: choice, so that's fine. <laughs> <controversial>.
1: <laughs> right, Universal.
0: Well, nah,
1: no. here we go. <laughs> you, you're gonna like, I uh, I think you're gonna like my last choice. Go on. I think you're gonna be surprised at it. It's a sure production, like isn't it? Yeah, uh, like fuck. Is it? <laughs> As you know, on this show, we, we're all fans of our Bond here, aren't we? We all like a little bit of Bond. Oh, I don't think um, so, I had, to, I had to pick this one. It's one of three. Mostly because, A, it was the first Bond film I actually saw in the cinema. Oh, no, he's not going to pick that one.
0: Okay.
1: Yeah, no, no, no. No, I'm... Uh, no, no. It is also, again, probably slightly controversially, it is my favourite of Pierce Brosnan's four films. And it's Tomorrow Never Dies. That is controversial. <laughs> out of the four very
0: controversial
1: oh no golden golden eye golden eye comes a very close second but the tomorrow never Dies inches it on two bits that, that just push it over into taking the first place the first one is jonathan price absolutely brilliant as as elliot carver he is enjoying himself and he's doing, he's gone back to the kind of the grandiose world domination plans of the, the early Bond villains. I do miss that the, the Bond films. I'll give the, you that. I'll give you the that. The scene where he is enthusiastically speaking to his golden retrievers about what havoc they're going to wreak is unbridled joy. You can tell he's loving it. The other thing that I really like about it. Now, bear in mind this was released in 97, so 23 years ago. The idea of media manipulation, fake news, starting a war for ratings. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In the 20 years since this film has been released, I mean, you you cannot deny that that has become spooky is the word now, isn't it? Yeah. But to have it done at that time was quite kind of something that was a bit different, something a bit more interesting. There's some fantastic set pieces in terms of big action sequences. It's also got one of my favourite supporting character roles in a Bond film, which is the late, great Vincent Schiavelli as Dr Kaufman, who yeah. is said to assassinate Bond after having done in Harris Carver. Yeah, I realise it's a controversial one because GoldenEye is like spot on, but for me, personal thing,
0: Tomorrow Never Dies. Right, you say controversial, Tez, and I know what you mean because Tomorrow Never Dies for me, if we're going to rank Piers Brosnan's films, for me, uh, oh God, it's tough, but for me, World is Not Enough, GoldenEye, Tomorrow Never Dies, and Die Another Day is the list I would go with Brosnan movies. But I know what you're saying about uh, Tomorrow Never Dies. Tomorrow Never Dies did have that old style villain, and you're absolutely right about the the whole uh, press thing and where that's gone on now. The thing that like you said about action set pieces for me, it, it still has one of the one of the best Bondian moments that now sadly the latest Bond movies are missing. There's not been a Bondian moment apart from Casino Royale and its um, parkour sequence, which just was thrown in there and sadly just looks like it's thrown in there. But Tomorrow Never Dies had the remote control car sequence, which for me is just mm. superbly Bond. You know, it's just yeah. so Bond, it's on the money. You know, they had an idea for a stunt sequence and they wrote it in well, and it was all an old school gadget with a, with a mobile phone with the remote control. Uh, yeah, brilliant. That's all what I, what I wanted to say to be fair i
2: was i was c- cynical at first when tez said tomorrow never dies but you've argued it. Today, <laughs> to be fair.
0: he's won you um, round like me he's won me over yeah, but i was like oh yeah good point well,
2: yeah yeah kind can of i mean for me it would be golden eye world is not enough tomorrow never dies and as far as i'm concerned boston only ever did three Bond movies um <laughs> oh god well, i wish <laughs> i wish but, but yeah, you, I, I will give you that. The, the the man can argue. The man can put up a good argument. There we are. Yeah. I So, yeah. So that's my
0: five. So, Reese, your last choice. Now then, you, you probably could take a guess what I'm going to say after the conversation about Shawshank Redemption. So I'm not going to say that because that isn't one of my top five of the 1990s because there's so many films in the 1990s to, to choose. <laughs> I think I'm gonna surprise you with what I, I say is my my fifth favourite film of the nineteen nineties. And it's prosper It's it's the first film I saw directed by this remarkable filmmaker, which is Luc Besson, who I am an absolute massive fan of Luc Besson. It's the first film of his that I watched and I fell in love with the man and started watching his, his previous work and I watched all his films ever since and and good and bad throughout the years but the film i'm talking about is a film that stars the young natalie portman jean renault and gary oldman is of course leon which is a surprisingly beautiful film set amongst an orphaned uh, child who comes from parents who are drug dealers who finds refuge in a, a neighboring apartment who happens to be lifted by the local underground hitman played by John Reno and it's the the film is the, the relationship between this sociopathic hitman who's so far removed from humanity and meets this young girl called Matilda and it's this this love story this adopted father figure who's nuts and little Matilda who has been brought up in such a bad environment has such bad views in the world and Leon tries to help her <laughs> to learn the business <laughs> as it were in different ways. Yeah. It is stylistically breathtaking. It is such a European film. It is unbelievably European. And it's, what I mean by that is how I fell in love with Besson's style and, and how he has this uh, European noir kind of feel to how he films everything, everything looks and is set. And it's just breathtakingly brilliant filmmaking. It's, it's one of those films where plot is everything the action is the end part of the belly of the beast and and we've talked about films that broke you at the end that film broke me and still upsets me when I watch it now the ending is bittersweet and beautiful at the same time I don't know if surprised you but Leon's my my fifth and final offering of this evening Well oh, wonderful so that's our 15 gentlemen that is the 15 films that we are not saying our official top 15 but that are 15 films that for us speak volumes of the decade go forth watch them uh also i think it's worth gentlemen if we uh, quickly go through a couple of mentions each and just fire off some uh, names that were close but didn't quite get into the mix do you want to go first matthew honorable mentions for
2: me david finch's the game cracking nice. film mate i love it one of my favorite films of all time danny Boyle's shallow grave Cracking yes. out there i prefer it to train spotting
0: myself' so. not surprised mm-hmm. better film also, Galaxy Quest. Oh, yes. you've got one of mine. you got one of mine as well. <laughs> Bingo! <laughs> These are
1: films that we've talked about previously, so I don't really want to dwell on them. But my honourable mentions for the 1990s are Priscilla, Queen of the Desert. Boom. Um, uh-huh. Galaxy Quest is mentioned. Boom. Scream. <laughs> <Galate>. Bingo! <laughs> yeah. Uh, Air Force One. Again, we talked about that in Guilty Pleasures.
0: Ooh,
1: yeah. Batman Returns. Uh cracking Christmas film. Mm. I I will hear nothing of it. <laughs> <laughs> Beauty Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. yeah good shout. Woody Allen's Bullets Over Broadway, just because of how funny the script is. My last honorable mention is Sam Mendes' American Beauty. Nice. Oh yeah. Reese, how about yours? What are you about? The well,
0: ones I've missed out, uh, there's some obvious ones and I'm just going to fly through them like we have. Obviously, we, like, and again, some, we, there's a couple that we've mentioned before. But one we have mentioned before is Disney's Aladdin with the like, great Robin Williams. Mm-hmm. Of course, I'm going to put in there Shawshank Redemption. If you've not seen it, go watch it because apparently Tez believes it's the most earned, overrated piece of crap that's ever been mentioned in <laughs> cinema history. Now, I think I the did opposite. Not, I think it's amazing. I did not say it was a piece of crap. <laughs>
1: I, okay. did not say it was, I did not say it was a piece of crap. I said I that thought it was overrated. Right. I still think it's a good film. <laughs> <laughs> Let's
2: it's move a good on. Film.
1: It's, a sol- it's a good film. It's solidly made, but I do not understand the, the fuss. I just don't get the fuss.
0: That's why I didn't put it in my five, top five, yeah. but it's in my list. George yeah. R. Yeah. is amazing. I never when I've put him. I didn't make my top five, but I, I'll put it in here only because it was a benchmark film in technical filmmaking, uh, what spectacle and what it did for the blockbuster and it changed the face of the the noughties. Every fucking action film wanted to be The Matrix including its two badly made sequels and here's one that uh, none of us mentioned. I'm a bit disappointed I hoped someone else would do it but uh, speaking of over the top action movies, the 90s was such an amazing time for that. The the, the epitome of over the top action film is face off Face yes. off. <laughs> the Fugitive. That film is phenomenal. That is a oh, fantastic yeah. oh. film. I'll give you one that has aged well. That hasn't aged well. It's kind of like mm, it hasn't. It hasn't. Is the, uh, is Speed? You know that's <laughs> that's amazing. I, I, on my list wasn't Tomorrow Never Dies. One of mine that was on my list was Goldeneye with good old Pierce broson taking the role in 1995. Yeah, yeah. And the one and other one that I the last one I want to chuck in there. Uh, speaking of David Fincher is probably David Fincher's benchmark piece of work which is just absolutely phenomenally evil is Seven they're the films we like go check them out also go and check out on the blog which is Tez watchersproductions.com slash watchers film show blog go there check that out and you will find out more about the blog but also more importantly other decade chats where we break down and look at what our favourite films of that those decades are <music> Coming up next on The Watchers, we will be talking about our favourite video game-inspired films. Yes. <laughs>
2: oh, it's not going to last very long because there aren't many good ones. My friend, it can just be
0: ones you like. You don't. You've got to fight for the right to say that you like like them. That's 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 the joy of the podcast coming up. I think it could be quite passionate. I think it could get quite, yeah. I think it's going to get violent. Very violent. There's plenty of video games that are violent. Mm-hmm. And on that note, it's goodbye. Goodbye. Bye.